Awesome, and have, uh, if children have not found their way to the door, you can go to your awesome classes uh, where you're gonna receive some awesome instruction uh, from the word. So great to know that that's happening for this coming generation week by week by week. Um, I returned from California, yeah, uh, didn't really want to come back weather-wise, but um, so um, Seth McNaughton, uh, one of our newer elders, and I had the privilege of going, and uh, the, the trip there was Eagles victory. I mean, our team showed up, and it was fun riding with Californians uh, as we just routed the 49ers, uh, and to see that team uh, collapse because of the goodness of the Eagles, it was just really delightful. Uh, and you kind of wonder, like, can the trip get better from here? You know, um, you get off the plane, and uh, again, you're in California. And, and I'll just say, like, we were hoping for good for this eco-conference, and it was off the chain. Good. I'm so glad Seth was with me so that we can have two witnesses. Um, so we'll be sharing more about what was good. But just this movement is young and fresh and it's growing and attracting more and more people. And there's nothing like having more than a thousand voices of leaders gathering together and worshiping together. Um, but there are just, it just seems like all sides are coming to a movement that recognizes that first it's, it's boldly reformed in the sense of saying we're, we're living out of the deep riches of, of some people who've thought deeply about scripture before. Uh, and so we're not throwing that away. We don't idolize tradition, but we don't throw it away, the things that are biblical and sound. So that's so attractive. Then it's, it's boldly evangelical. And then it's just committed to all the essential tenets that the Holy Spirit builds in every church and movement that is going forth. Uh, and it's decidedly egalitarian in this way. And I loved how one woman pastor said it. She goes like, I can fully be a woman. I, I don't have to pretend like the genders don't matter. Like there's male and female genders and there's, there's unique distinctives of that, but I can also be a leader. And we were blessed by that in so many of the manifestations of leadership. It was just across the board. Uh, it was a little like heaven come down uh, and a tremendous experience. So thank you for sending me. I won't miss another one. Uh, and uh, I wish we could just load up a plane. This was an airport, right? We still got a runway uh, with all of you. Uh, and the next one's going to be in South Carolina, which is a little easier to get to next year in January. But uh, it was just a time of scene. I mean, so you see people on the on the left fleeing the kind of modernistic liberalism that has rejected the Bible and saying, no, I want something real. And yet I also saw some friends that I knew who were fleeing kind of pharisaical, self-righteous, fearful conservatism and saying, no, I want something that, and it just felt like we were saying, man, bring the world on. Anybody who experienced this is gonna experience Jesus and be converted. And I just, when, when you have that kind of faith coursing through a fellowship and a movement. It's not, they call it, it's not a denomination. It's post-denomination. I mean, it kind of is a denomination. But it's a denomination without the denominational bureaucratic kind of policing. And, and if you can think of it this way, uh, they, the, one of the leaders called it center theology. And he said, we're so confident in, the, in like an unapologetic, uncompromising commitment to everything in the Bible that we police this not like you know a SWAT team that's got to go into a bad situation and take out the bad guys and protect the good innocent people, but we see this more like an Australian rancher. And you know what Australian ranchers do? That the land is so vast they can't build enough fences to keep the cattle in. So what they do is they just they just make sure that there are tremendously refreshing watering holes and good food in the center, and that just pretty much takes care of everything. Do you get the difference? Yeah. It's like, it's just so, so good, so, so positive in terms of a gathering. So I'm just, we're, we're fired up. We got every, every speaker was really off the chain. The seminars were relevant. Uh, and a lot of that will be available. I'm told that we can make known to you as well. But it's just, it's just cool that that's the place where this church, after almost 300 years, is, is part of something that is renewing itself, that's growing, that's getting people on board. And we just saw Hispanic, Black, Asian, every, every representation demographic is pouring in uh, mixed generations, lots of young people finding sustenance and, and, and life here. So just really cool. So praise God. And we're looking at this text. We have a, a simple text as we lead into the Lord's Supper, and yet a profound one. 
in this series on the new man. And it's talking about the new you, the new person that Christ is building, put off the old, embrace the new. And we've looked at how um, that means that we've got to stop telling lies to ourselves. The truth is so much better than the lies we come up with. We've, we've got to get rid of emotions that can be damaging when anger goes the wrong way. Anger can be a force of good, but it can go sideways in us. Uh, we've got to completely get rid of bitterness and division. We've got to exercise that forgiveness option that is the option to just like let things go so we can move on. We can't be moving on if we're still stuck in the past. Uh, and this is kind of like the conclusion of it all where it says the point of it all is so that we live this life of love. And he, he uses a really audacious phrase here we're gonna look at um, where he calls us to be imitators of God. That's, that's a pretty audacious, I don't know whether you think have ever seen a church make that their mission statement. I've never seen that on a mission statement to say we are imitating God. <laughs> but that's what he is calling us to in this great climax. So, um, so look at the word of God here. And I'll read these two verses. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray again. Oh God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, and all that is heard be only in accordance with your word and build us up, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this phrase, follow God's example, therefore, as dear children. Uh, that is the most audacious thing. I just want to show you a little video of this um, that I like that I found this week. That so captures, I think, what our text is saying. It says, follow Christ's example as dearly loved children. He's saying, be imitators. And, and a little, little kid thought, he thought his dad was rejoicing, right? But his dad was, was like, the, the past was dropped or something, something that obviously will not happen to the Eagles next week. Uh, but it was this, this innocent imitation in tender love without condemnation. And that, that is what our text is, is calling us to. It's saying you don't become loved by how well you imitate God, how, how, by how well you walk out the Christian life. You know, nobody really becomes good without being loved. I think that is a, is a biblical principle that it's rather, and, and love isn't real if love says, well, I'll love you as long as you're measuring up. That is a transaction. That is a works equation. That's what religion says. If I really, really obey, I can get God to love me. That's works. That has nothing to do with Christianity. But here he says, as dearly loved children, you already have the Father's favor. You're living in that security. You're living that love. Now, um, imitate the one who has loved you this way. Uh, love is, is, you know, goodness is never expressed as, as uh, a reward for, for being good. Goodness is always that consequence of having been loved. And this is our mission. Our mission is basically to fill the world with little Christ, to fill the world with those who are, are imitating the way of God. And it is an audacious, uh, an audacious claim to say, we are living out the life of God. We are a, a visible display. We are a colony of heaven. We are a colony of God-touched people um, who are sharing this kind of joy. And, and there's a sense in which it should make us laugh. <laughs> it should make us laugh at, our, at ourselves uh, in, in a self-deprecating way to say, who are we that this is actually our mission? Uh, when um, I went to seminary in 1985, it was, um, it, it was a intense time in the cemetery, cemetery, no, seminary. Uh, sometimes felt like a cemetery, that was a slip. Um, and often places of, of great debate. And I wanna be in the treasure and the dining hall. So imagine this, you go to these classes that are serious, deep mining of the word of God by people who just wanna be painstakingly careful that everything is correct and right and rich and, and brilliant people doing it. And one thing I loved that I discovered is I, I could find people at the dining room table who disagreed on like more minutia things, not like things that decide whether you're in the faith or not. And I love to get them talking. And by talking, I mean arguing. 
And if I could get them debating, if I could get them heated. So I was, I was like the guy in, in the bar who would try to get two people fighting and then back off and just like enjoy the fight. Um, and one of the things that I would do in the midst of this that really annoyed a number of people is uh, I loved the chipmunks. And I actually carried in my briefcase, in those days we didn't have laptops, we had a briefcase. I carried in my briefcase these guys. Um, and at times in the debate or in the library, sometimes even in a class, I would just take them out and set them on the table, okay? Uh, just to, I, I, you know, and just as kind of a sign like, hey, don't take yourself so seriously. Simon, Alvin, and Theodore are here. And um, I was part of a missions group that was seeking to bring Missions, missionary zeal into serious Calvinism. You know, Calvinism can kind of be dry-eyed, like, hey, if, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it, you know? And, and that is not the spirit of Christ. So we had this missions group, and I remember the morning that I went around to all of the chalkboards and wrote, so if you want, world changers, come together for lunch. And underneath that I wrote, if you want to start a revolution, that's all right, we all want to change the world, you know, the Beatles thing. Uh, come here an awesome missionary. And the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, a very serious organization, was sending uh, a veteran missionary. I wasn't sure who they were going to send, but they were sending the missionary. And that same morning, somebody had taken Theodore from me, one of my best friends. And I, I didn't know that at the time, but Theodore was missing. So I only had two of the trio of chipmunks. And then right before this meeting that was taking place, and students are bringing their lunch into this room to hear this missionary, I get a ransom note, and it has Theodore, a Polaroid picture. This guy's a PCA pastor, still one of my closest friends, and he had blindfolded Theodore, put him in front of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and taken a picture and demanded ransom or Theodore would be dismembered, okay? So right before this event about world changing, we're gonna change the world missionary, and, and we bring this, this Korean missionary who had served for decades, this, this older gentleman who had really served with distinction. I hadn't met him, and so I'm getting ready to go introduce him to a room full of students, and I say, um, hey, really good to meet you. I'm so glad the Orthodox Presbyterian Church sent you. What's your name? And he says, Theodore, <laughs> Theodore. <laughs> and so, I am in a fit of suppressed laughter, the, most em the second most embarrassing fit of suppressed laughter in my lifetime, where I am introducing Theodore. <laughs> and you know how suppressed laughter, it's worse when you're trying to suppress it. So you suppress, it comes out, if you just let it out, it'd be okay. But when you're suppressing it, it comes out as snorts and like all this stuff. And so then I sit down and through the entire presentation and I'm locked in the front row because all the seats were filled up and I'm just, you know, and then kind of slink away and I hope never to see Theodore again. Um, uh, and here's the thing, my most embarrassed, wouldn't you know, this is God's way, 10 years later, I'm at the Orthodox Presbyterian Church General Assembly, and I and, and one of my absolute best friends, Brian Fricker, and I were making this very serious presentation in front of 152 solemn pastors who were deciding this issue, and we felt the weight of the world on our shoulders. We felt the survival of our own congregation, literally. That's how we felt, on our shoulders. And who do I lock eyes with? But Theodore, he's in the front row. And um, I just want to say there was, there was a kind of mercy in the middle, and that was my most embarrassing suppressed because I could not suppress the laughter in a situation where I really did. There was not a whole lot that was funny. And what, was, what I think God was doing in the midst of that, <laughs> I think part of it was to say, like, do not ever feel there is only one who can bear the weight of the world. There is only one who has perfectly imitated God, who has carried it out, uh, who is the exact representation of God's character, who is the perfect representation of everything that he is. And, and so as we imitate God, do it as beloved children. <laughs> what, what do beloved children do? Beloved children have the freedom of being the beloved. I, I have a friend who always... Who, always basically interrogates me this way. He's basically saying, are you letting God love you? <laughs> he says, this is your number one mission. You must let God love you in Jesus Christ. We're not talking about some squishy, vague God up here. We're talking about the God who has loved us like no other, who's offered this, are you letting God love you? And he says, it, if, if we are not doing that, then we are not ready to do anything else. 
And, and that, is, that is the root, I think, of our, of our text here when he says, be imitators of God. The literal really is more shocking than the way this is translated. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Uh, but I want you to note the second part of this. How do we imitate God? He says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. You know how you imitate God? You look at Jesus. Uh, you know, this is a verse that, you know, if the Jehovah's Witness or Mormons knock on your door who do not believe in the deity, the unique full deity of Jesus Christ, this verse teaches the unique full deity of Jesus Christ. How does it do that? Because it says, if you imitate God, look at Christ. He is the perfect, full, equal image bearer of God. Uh, and so if you're going to imitate God, then you are gonna be freed by the imitation of Christ. And this means the tone, the tenor, the message, the people who are attracted to our message ought to look a lot the same as the ones that Jesus attracted. I've always been really challenged by Tim Keller's words when he says, when he says, if the church is preaching the message of Jesus Christ, if the church is living out the mission of Jesus Christ, then we ought to have the same effect on the world that Jesus had. And you know, and, and he develops this a bit because he says, Jesus ticked off the older brothers and the Pharisees, and he attracted the out and out sinners. And, and so often what we find, and I found as a pastor, I found as a person too, the people who feel the most comfortable often to, to converse or whatever, they're the older brothers. I can be like an older brother magnet. And, and we, gotta ask that, we gotta ask that question. Um, Philip Yancey puts it this way. He says, in, if we're doing this right, then the, the width and breadth and passion of God's love for everybody, because Jesus really is for everybody. I can tell you there have been seasons in church life I was reminiscing with a friend who was on staff with me at Doylestown for many years. And I said, you know, we had some, we had an amazing, some amazing years together. And they were some amazing years in the midst of it. And he said, I, and we were reminiscing and saying, do you remember when we really felt like there was nobody who could possibly come in to the experience of corporate worship there who wouldn't have their heart won over? Like we were just like, bring it. And, and everything we started seemed to have fruit and, to, and even to fill up and multiply. There was just a season. It was about three years maybe. Where, and, and it was long enough that there were people telling us, don't, don't think this is forever. And we're like, I don't know. It just, let's make it forever. <laughs> this is so much fun. Uh, where there was just that freedom. And, a, and, and, and here, here's how what it felt. It felt like these words from Philip Yancey, who's writing I Love. He said this. He said, married, divorced, or single here, it's one family that mingles here. Um, conservative or liberal here, we all got to give a little here. <laughs> Big or small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt or believe here, we all can receive here. Gay or straight here, there's no hate here. Woman or man here, everyone can serve here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live in love without any labels. This is the entryway. We, we don't put a filter over whosoever will may come. I mean, I love how, I love how the order of it in Revelation is. If anyone thirsts, let him come. And then it's like, well, there might be somebody out there who's not thirsty, so let's just say whosoever will, even if you don't thirst. Y'all come and experience Jesus, and we have such confidence in who Jesus is that when people experience him, he'll take care of all the other rest, all the rest on his own timetable with all of us. And so, so we, imitate not, we imitate not to earn it, but because we have it. And then we live this life of love. Um, literally, walk in the way of love, is, is what he's saying, which is, is, is really, I think, also well-rendered when it says live a life of love. Do you know that a lot of what we do in church is a means, but that is the end. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.5, he says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. A lot of the other things we do are means. So like this week, the Phillies, are, the uh, Eagles, too early for the Phillies, but the Eagles are practicing. They are running plays. We hope the plays go great. We, we hope there are, you know, 
plenty of catches and well-executed plays and discussions, but none of that wins the game. All of that is preliminary. A lot of what we do is preliminary. Knowing the Bible, it's preliminary. It is a means to what? It is a means to living a life of love. Gathering together in, in all the different ways, all the different structures, all the different programs, all the things that we do, ultimately, but this is the end of it, the end of saying, are we releasing ourselves as a community, and this is a command in the plural, this is not just for lone rangers, but it's saying God is wanting to build communities that are living a breathtaking, take your breath away, startling form of love, where people will say, I may not understand everything that you believe, but I am very drawn in by the way that you treat each other. That is, that is the whole goal, and this is, here is saying that, that this is the way of love, live a life of love. There's a lot of awareness in, in some circles of the different stages of life. You know, there's some of that in, uh, in the Bible itself. Like Paul seems to divide life into two categories when he says, I was, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, I, uh, I lived like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways away from it. Remember that text? Or uh, in 1 John, John talks about um, fathers and older men and younger men, and he's not really talking chronologically per se. There may be a chronological part to it, but he's saying there are, there are levels of maturity. And some people who've been looking at discipleship in the church, and this is one of the major themes of the eco-conference, and it says that what we're often doing in church brings people first of all, to essential discipleship. You know what essential discipleship or essential maturity is? It's just the struggle to get our lives together. Uh, most, many of you are through those doors of like, you've learned that you can't spend more money than what comes in. You, you've learned that you can't leave um, a pile of broken relationships behind you every time you're disappointed or angered. You learn to work through for reconciliation. You've learned that you can't just do what you immediately in the short term feels good, but you're looking for long, the, that the greatest pleasures are longer term investments. That's kind of essential discipleship. It's a struggle to get our lives together. That's, that's kind of Christianity one-on-one. Uh, and getting our lives together spiritually, understanding a little bit of how to find your way around the Bible, a little bit of more of the gospel, how to live that out. That's, that's essential gospel. The second phase is the phase that I think the church generally does pretty well at too. And that's the mature discipleship, but fewer people enter that door. Mature discipleship is not just, I'm getting my life together, but mature discipleship is, I've got something to give away. And I need to find a way, not just of focusing on getting my finances balanced, uh, my peace in my life, my relationships harmony, but I'm gonna pour myself into places where there's not yet harmony, or I'm gonna give myself away in ministry. That, that is mature discipleship, and that is a struggle. It's a struggle to give our lives away to someone else. It's a struggle to serve. It's a struggle to really be a, a covenant partner, not just a passive, quote, member of a church, um, like a member of a club, but it says, no, I'm essentially partnering, and there is a place where I serve, and I go to serve whether I feel like it or not, even when I don't feel like it, because I know there's a reward there, and that's, that's mature discipleship. But the third phase is, is more and more rare, and in some ways seems to be disappearing off the landscape, according to many who are, who are looking at church life, and that is radical discipleship, where it's the struggle to give even our deaths away. We are just, we are radically, radically moving. And so essential discipleship, pull yourself together. Generative discipleship, serving others some. But radical discipleship is like, I'm giving my whole life away. I, I, am, I am all into this. And we can get stuck there. Sometimes people talk about this, this, this turning point of, of the first half of life and the second half of life. And by the way, the first half of life, um, most of the thinkers on this say that the first half of life ends around 30, 35. <laughs> that encouraging to you? Not because it's half time, but because by that point, you've kind of assembled who you are, what you're going to do, and who you love. When you're, this is the problem with, when people, to, people told me in high school and college, oh, these are the best years of your life. What a crock. What a lie. Because, um, 
As one writer said, when you're an adolescent, part of the problem is you're like a stem cell. You could turn into anything, and it, is, it makes you feel like a chameleon on plaid. You do not know which way you're going to go. You don't know your identity. You, you know that you would like to, part of adolescence is you, you're longing for connection. You're longing um, for that special person often, but you, don't, you haven't found them, and you're floundering and wondering, what am I going to be? What in the world? But by the time you're 30, 35, or somewhere in there, you're like, uh-oh, hey, this is who I've become. And these are the people who God has called me to love. It's kind of like what's often said at the marriage altar. Well, first you choose your love. That's what's brought you to the marriage altar. You've chosen your love. But when you leave here and are pronounced married, now the rest of your life, your, your ministry is to love your choice. And that's kind of the second half of life. And midlife comes when midlife crisis can come to some when they say like, ooh, I don't know that I really like all these constraints. And, I, you know, and, and maturity comes when you embrace those as a calling from God. And you say, I'm gonna live myself full out. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna love the people who God has assembled around me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love the gifts and skills that I have to offer to the world and the place. And that's a maturity that says I'm anchored, I'm stable, I have something that now I, I know how to pursue. Does that make sense to you? Um, and it's, it's in, in the midst of that, what happens to some people is instead of embracing the second half of life, they wanna go after a second childhood. <laughs> Which is, is a horrible waste of life and is not going to end well. And, and, and so they don't honor the commitments that, they, that they've really lived into. And, and so they just pursue kind of the pleasure principle. If it feels good now, then, then I will continue it. And I just wanna say like, when you, when you get a little bit into the second half of life, and I'm into that second half of life, you realize that the best, the best pleasures are the things that you've really given yourselves and committed yourself to over the long haul. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. <laughs> they're, they're not satisfying the fleeting things that go away, but they're saying, no, like invest and pour yourself into the things that, that really matter. And, and yes, those are relationships. Yes, those are family. Yes, those are friendships. There's a point in your life where, yes, you, we all should be open to make some new best friends, and I hope God has some new best friends for us all. But we also should recognize in that if you've lived very long, part of your stewardship of life is to make sure you keep in touch with the friends that God has given you over the long haul and that you were deepening those relationships, right? Does that make sense? Somebody told me when I was turning 40, they said, well, now it shifted from a whole lot of new friendships to making sure that you pour into the friendships and don't leave them behind because those are, those are unique gifts. So hear me say, be open to new ones. They could be awesome but make sure you don't have the regret of not pouring yourself into the old ones. Well, because that's part of love. That's part of a way of life, a way of love. And what I'm saying from this text is to say, don't settle from a way of love that is just getting your own life in order and giving away a little bit. Why shouldn't you settle for that kind of love? Because what kind of love does he point out to us? He says, the walk in the way of love, and then he, if it's ridiculous to imitate God, look how ridiculous this is. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And how did he love us? He doesn't leave it to guess. He says, and gave himself up for us. That, that, is, that is radical love. That is radical obedience. Uh, and it, it points to the cross. He says, it gave himself up. It was a fragrant offering to God. If nobody on the earth had repented and believed, it would have been a fragrant offering to God. If there were not those that God had established before the foundation of the world, Christ just doing this magnified God before all the angels. And Christ was paying the debt we couldn't pay. He was satisfying cosmic justice. You know, it's, you, you can't really um, forgive and embrace someone who's wronged you without somebody eventually paying somehow. Christ paid that price. Fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this, this is, is the radical claim of love. And he could, not be, he could not be exhorting you or me to a more radical um, display of love than this. Total self-giving, total passionate self-giving. And it, it struck me because I, I was reading a letter that my son's pastor in New York um, sent to um, just the men of the church. He was especially focused on the men. I'd like to include the women in this as well. But some of the language may just be focused on the men. And he writes about a concern he has coming out of this COVID atmosphere. And, and he acknowledges, he says, you know, the last few years, have they been a little more difficult for most of us than usual years? 
I would say yes. How many would say yes to that? Yeah, they've been more difficult. Um, but amidst that, something else, I think, on the other side is a danger. And he calls it, while he's, he's sensitive to the fact that many of us still are healing up and whatever uh, from all those losses, and they're real. But something else is, and he, he says something else is snuck in, and he says it's a kind of selfish self-preservation. And he writes this. I thought this was so rough. He says, I am concerned that we are in danger of trading burning out for not burning at all. We, we become so um, protective that we're in danger of swapping sustainability for mediocrity. And, and while we're saying, hey, I don't want to just grind it out and, and, and just suck it up for its own, own sake, but have we stopped pressing ourselves into the promises of God that we can never outgive God and that God will follow us if, if we give him his fullest, um, his fullest return on our whole lives? And he, and he lets those questions sit for a while. And, and he references an example in the author John Steinbeck's life. Remember Steinbeck, the book that you had to read, Grapes of Wrath? And, uh, well, so John Steinbeck, um, of course, became rather famous and known. Uh, and as an older man, he decided that he wanted to take a trip across this country to see what had become of this country. And... Uh, this is his vehicle for the trip. How do you like that, guys? Um, uh, and, um, and he called it, uh, he wrote about this trip in a, in a documentary called Travels with Charlie. And he writes about the process of making this trip as an older man. And I wanna see if you resonate with this. He said, it happens to many men. And he says, I think doctors have memorized the litany and he says, it has happened to so many of my friends and the lecture from the doctor and from loved ones ends by saying, slow down. You're not as young as you once were. Anybody ever heard that around them? No, I'm still too young to hear that, but um, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm gonna be loaded for it when I hear it. And he says, and I have seen so many begin to pack their lives in cotton wool, smother their impulses, hood their passions, and gradually retire from their manhood, or we can say womanhood, into a kind of spiritual and physical semi-invalidism. In this, they are encouraged by wives and relatives, and it is such a sweet trap, because who doesn't like to be a center of con for concern? And a kind of second childhood falls on so many men that they trade their passion for the promise of a for a small increase in lifespan. And in effect, the head of the house becomes the youngest child. <laughs> he says, I, he goes on, he says, I've searched myself for this possibility with a kind of horror, for I've always lived passionately, and he goes into detail about all these, all these passions, but he, but he says, I do not want to surrender fierceness for a small gain in yardage. <laughs> My wife married a man, I see no reason why she should inherit a baby. And I think I just, I felt that so speak to me to say, what kind of people is our world inheriting today? On the other side of COVID, and apply this for men, women, for everybody, um, how much fierceness in our commitment to Christ, how much passion, how much idealism have we surrendered just for yardage? Um, I, I, again, I'm not trying to deny that Sometimes we need margin. Sometimes we need to heal. If, you're, if you have been burned out, stressed out, if you're recovering from a grief or a serious wound, sometimes tend to that. If you have been straining yourself beyond what the regular run can be, if you've been acting like a sprint when it's a full marathon, then yeah, pull back, take a break, get yourself whole, get, it, get a therapist, get friends around you. Um, I'm not talking just about bodily, physically exertion. I'm talking about a spirit of zeal and life and, and wholeheartedness. I'm talking about being a wholehearted person who is, who is all in, who is who is obeying this part of the text that is, is seeking for their whole life to be offered up. I mean, Paul talked about his life this way. He says, if I am being poured out as a drink offering, what happened to drink offering? Poured out on the coals. Then in this, I rejoice. And he had that kind of passion until, until the point when, when that at one point happened. And I believe that's, that's what this text 
it's calling us to that when it calls us to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. When it says, imitate Christ as dearly loved children. Imitate God. Keep yourself in God's love as dearly loved children. And, be, and ask yourself, am I in any way living out the radical return of love that Jesus and Jesus himself alone deserves? Look, nobody ever loved like Jesus. I mean, Jesus, you know, for Adam and Eve, it was, you know, obey uh, in this probationary period and it will go well with you. For Jesus, it was obey and yet you'll still experience the consequence of sin and you will swim through, um, as it were, oceans of righteous wrath and you will have the sins of others laid on you as you atone and going into that whole deluge and fire and fury that Jesus experienced on the cross um, he was the only one who went down in pain and judgment while he was perfectly obeying God and praying the verses from the Psalms upon his lips and still experienced all of that so that we could be loved there is no other love like that that's the perfect standard of love. And God says, when we've experienced that, he says, let that love get in you and be expressed, just as the one who loved you did this and has become a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as we come to the Lord's table, if you know the love of Christ, ask him to rekindle that. And let's, let's begin, like, let's, let's bow and pray this written prayer confession uh, before we confess our faith this morning. So I invite you to make this your prayer this morning as a prayer of confession and preparation that God might rekindle his love in us. Let's pray this aloud. Gracious Father, your love for us is faithful, fervent, and deep. But we love ourselves supremely. We love others poorly. We love you rarely. Our hearts are divided and our passion for your kingdom half-hearted. Our trust in you seems pure only for brief moments. Our devotion to you dies far too easily. Forgive us. In your deep mercy, rekindle our love for you as we see anew Jesus' love for us. In his name we pray. Amen. That be some framework for our reflection as we come to the Lord's table. And this is the table for all those who confess their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to stand and confess with the church down through the ages the Apostles' Creed. If you'd like to stand, I just would point out to you that perhaps the most important word in this whole creed is the little word in. Because this creed is not saying, I believe about or I believe that there is a God the Father, but it's saying, I believe in. And again, if this is your profession of faith, you are joined to Jesus Christ with all of the believers who've ever lived and those who have gone on before us around his throne. And so I invite you to confess with the church down through the ages and the church triumphant. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As that's your um, confession of faith, on those terms you're invited to this supper. And this is the supper where Christ, after giving thanks for the bread, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And if our servers would like to come forward, these are the words that Jesus spoke when he administered the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we preach a sermon, the Bible says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes suddenly, gloriously, and purposely for us in glory. I invite you to come as you're led. Um, 
we have gluten-free on this side, uh, and you can come and take the bread and dip it here. But let's take this a moment as we ask the Lord to rekindle in us his life and his love.
Father, thank you for the feast laid out for us. We feel the fragrance of Christ's offering upon us, and not just the fragrance, but the reality of that imparted to us. May that, Lord, continue to hold our souls and our minds and our beings in that whole frame. And so, Lord, we pray now as as we move to look at some things in front of us as a congregation. Um, Lord, that you would just remind us and hold us in that mission of living a life of love and of living as those who are imitating the most beautiful life, the most beautiful act in, under the heavens or earth in any way. We ask this in Jesus' name. And together, God's people said, amen. Amen. If you would be seated, we're going to just take a few minutes to talk about some things coming up to us, uh, and we really will keep this to just a few minutes, and I'm gonna ask for a few leaders and volunteers and staff members to just be available as, as we talk about this. Um, this season has been a season really of goodness. I mean, I am so thankful for CLC, and I hope you are too, and for God's commitment and work and renewing life. Uh, and if there's one verse uh, I'd point us back to, it was a verse that I think we've you were pointed to by your elders over some of the time of the pandemic is Isaiah 43, verse 19, where God says, I'm doing a new thing. Uh, even now it is coming. I will make a way in the wilderness. I will make rivers and springs in the desert and all the wild animals, I think that's us, are gonna gather around those, those springs. And he says, you know, even the jackals and the ostriches are going to come. Uh, as we open up those rivers. And God has been faithful in that. And I think that's a description of what happens in worship. Um, and because of God's work in you and God's blessing, uh, we at times have called this a, service, a season of regrouping, regathering, renewing. Um, and God has been at work in that. I mean, um, I do intend to give you more of a report about both budget and financing. But over that time, I mean, God made you to be a very generous people sustaining the work of this place. And if you saw in the newsletter, uh, over $1.27 million came in. I mean, each one of those dollars is an expression of faith and trust in this uh, institution of CLC to steward that well. It's, it's a vote for the people around us to go to heaven, not to hell. I always I think of that. Um, you know, every dollar is saying, we want to see the kingdom of Jesus built and the kingdom of the enemy toppled. Um, and um, we don't take that for granted, nor do we take for granted our need to be faithful stewards of that. So um, next week I hope to show you kind of a pie chart of where that's going in the new year and how that works. But I just wanna say first, that's a powerful indicator for a church because it is an indicator of trust. It is an indication of commitment. People who are not committed to a church and people who are new to a church, rightly so, are kind of waiting. Uh, and the commitment of their gifts and resources come later. So praise, praise God for that. Um, second, um, the, just the overall ministries that support our main front door of corporate worship. Um, that's always, I think, the main front door uh, for most churches in America in our context. And our worship service is our main front door. It's the main way people find us. And biblically speaking, Corporate worship is not just one a la carte item on the menu. It isn't like, hey, I'll have a little bit of this or a little bit of this. I mean, corporate worship is the steak. It's not the parsley, right? Uh, and so it's, it's the entryway, uh, and it is something that we all need. We all do need 
um, corporate worship and a place of easy access. And so here's our vision for where we're going in the future, is that I want you to imagine with me, because uh, I think it's good to begin with the end in mind. Imagine uh, every Sunday two worship services that are filled with all of the things that have helped make CLC easy access. Um, nursery care, um, children's programs where they're not just kept like a zookeeper, but they actually are taught the word, um, where deep relationships are formed across the board so that as people come with children who've never been in a worship service, they have a place. Uh, I love that our children are with us in that first part of the worship. They had life, man, it's awesome. Uh, but then uh, they go to a place where they receive age-appropriate instruction, and also they're making friendships that are going to get them through their adolescent high school, and we pray college years. Like, they are, they are building amazing bonds and amazing bonds with other adults. That is so awesome. So imagine two worship services where all of that is happening and more, and if you attend one and you serve sometimes, sometimes you might stay for an adult class in a series, so we have multiple adult classes going. Uh, the, I haven't run this by staff, but we, we had to open up NLPC because we got extra classes going on over there. People just can't get enough fellowship and life. We've got all these things going on Sunday, and we are firing on all cylinders. So I'd like to announce to you that we're going to begin that in a three weeks, all of that. <laughs> I would like to. <laughs> and hey, let's not hold God back. He can do anything, but here's how he ordinarily is going to do it is that we build up to that. And so what we're looking to do, starting on the first Sunday after Lent, is what we're calling an experiment, where we are going to offer a 1045, but there is a sense in which we are violating one of the things that built CLC in doing it, temporarily. Um, one of the things that built CLC is we were easy access for, and we could love families and all ages of people at all stages for all the main things that we offered. And we are not yet ready to do that. Um, why are we not yet ready to do that? Because we still need help at 9 a.m. Um, you know, I heard a report a few weeks ago um, that there were 24 second graders in a class during this nine o'clock. Um, and I think there were two teachers there for that. We could use more, if you know second graders, to make sure that it's not just great time together, but great learning time, great connection time. So we're not yet there, and so we're not able to double it because we don't yet have it established in the 9 a.m. service. Does that make sense? But we believe, we have reason to believe that if we open a 10.45 a.m. window, though, even though it's not gonna have all of those things that make that service equally easy access, that it will encourage at least some to say, I could serve at the nine o'clock and I can worship at 10.45. And we know that there are a number of people who 10.45 is just the better hour for. I mean, I think you all are nuts to prefer the 9 a.m. time. Um, as a church, I've never heard of that. I don't think that that happens in church world. Um, it's 11 o'clock is still the hour for worship across our entire country, except here. Everybody just, and I, I view it because you cannot wait to get into worship. So you choose the early time. But I think eventually when we get the services up and have all of the supporting things that make it easy access for everybody, I predict this is not Old Testament prophecy, so don't stone me if it's not true. But I predict in somewhere between three, let's give myself a loophole, three to seven years, the 1045 will be bigger than the nine. Um, because it, there's just, there's so many people out there who are not, their cars are not starting <laughs> to go anywhere on Sunday morning. So, um, so the plan is to offer starting on February 26th, a 10.45 a.m. service that will not have the things that make it easy access for everybody, but will be a place for people to come and say, I can worship in this service, same music, same band, um, same message, same preacher, um, but, but not quite identical because it's not going to have as many children, um, most likely, in that first part. It's not gonna have all of the parallel classes to it, so we want eventually for it to be an identical offering, but it's not yet. So it's gonna be a soft launch, and we think it's a stepping stone 
And we think it is an incremental way of getting there, and it also opens up that service to people who are just primarily concerned about time, not about programming. And when people come to it, we greet them and say, awesome, you have your children, we'll do, don't worry. I mean, I love the sound of barnyard animals in the background and all kinds of things, so like, don't worry, they're fine, but your kids will be adequately taught at nine. And, and hopefully with that, increasing number, and I hate to even call it volunteers in children's ministry, because it's so much richer than that. Um, it's really, we're looking for people who want to pour into the lives of students of all ages. Um, nursery, elementary, um, middle school, all the way, and, and in our other programs in high school, we're looking for people who want to receive that as a calling. Um, I went to a, a seminar on aging at ECO. I don't know why I went to that one, but, um, but one of the refrains of this service was that brain science, and this I think may be the way we start recruiting people to serve among youth, brain science says that when older generation relate to younger generation, and especially when older generation relate to children, that they can actually measure something that happens in our brains that's really good. And it says that what milkshakes do to our waistline in that they make it bigger, relating to children at a, at, at a real level makes our brain bigger, makes it healthier. And they say there's brain science. I can show you the footnote and I can show you the author who said that anyway. So that's what we're looking for. <laughs> um, we're looking for that kind of investment and we know right now we still need it more for nine. So we don't wanna jump the gun and try to offer something we're not able to really offer. But we also don't wanna stay in park because as a lot of people say right here, the Lord doesn't generally steer a parked ship or uh, you know, let's get moving and let's see what God does. Um, and I really think he's gonna bless this. But it's an experiment because we have to learn what, who comes. I've heard a lot of people tell me, I don't get there very much, I'm, I'm watching on YouTube, but I would come at 1045. Well, you know, I've been a pastor long enough to know like, okay, well, let's see. <laughs> um, because th to be honest and gracious, we often don't know what we'll do until an opportunity is actually open to us. So let's see what happens uh, with this. Um, so we need people who volunteer and commit. And I'm gonna just point out a few areas that we are gonna need to expand uh, the number of volunteers. Psalm 110 verse three says to Christ, your people volunteer freely in the day of your power. So we're praying this will be a day of his power. So um, let me start. Um, Christian, why don't you speak to um, tech and even, even to youth a bit? Yeah, and you can get ready for everybody else too. Christian covers so much. I'm amazed at his versatility, capacity. Man, so good. Yeah, um, we have an awesome team. They do an awesome job every single week, but to kind of make services happen, to create space where people can just encounter God. Um, we need teams, just people um, to help kind of lead that. So we uh, do tech on Sunday mornings. For, we're looking for both services now. So if you're interested, you do not need a background in that. We can teach you everything you need to know. And we're pretty fun, I think. Um, and then uh, student ministry too, uh, the kind of one qualifying um, factor, the two, is you just love Jesus and you're growing in your journey with him. And then secondly, uh, you care about students and you want to get to know them and care for them. And so we're always looking for more people to pour into students. We've seen a really cool climb in the numbers of students we have, probably between middle school and high school, averaging 45 to 50 on a Wednesday night. And awesome. we have very little, so good. not little, but we need more volunteers in order to adequately serve them. So that's what we got going on. A lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Let me have uh, Jason. Why don't you come next? Um, so Jason Zern is this talented pianist, been behind the scenes, and he in the last months has taken on the full mantle of leading our team, selections, rehearsing, uh, all the things that go into it. So let's just give Jason a real hand of thanksgiving. Appreciate that, everybody. But of course, you know, one of the only reasons I really agreed to be helping in this time is because of the worship band. They're an incredibly dedicated group of people. We're a family within the family, and uh, it, it isn't without their uh, support and a lot of grace they've given me um, that I'm able to do this. So please give them all the praise yeah. and, the, and the thanks. So thank you guys. Um, but yes, we're always looking to grow our, our little family. So if you are talented in music, please, you know, you can talk to me. My email is uh, on the website as well. 
Um, it does say in the Psalms, though, that the musicians are asked to play skillfully a loud noise. So if you do want to uh, join the band, there'll be a little bit of a, um, a tryout, if you will, and then we'll ask you to, to rehearse with a band just to make sure that you, you know, feel comfortable with us and, and we feel comfortable with you. So the other thing I wanted to say is even if you don't see an instrument that you happen to play up on the stage on a regular basis, please still reach out to me because I would love to add a violin every once in a while, a cello every once in a while, or whatever you might be uh, able to bring to us. So please just uh, contact me. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. Great. I, I think for the next one, I'm making this, a, this announcement in proxy because Lauren Mascaro, our outstanding children's staff, and Lauren is running that department because uh, Megan Freisleben is caring for their bouncy baby boy and still on a, on a maternity leave, praise God. Um, what a skilled duo they are. They both have education degrees. They both have master's degrees. They know kids. They know the Bible. Um, they're awesome. But right now, we're in a situation where our, that's not ideal in that our staff members have to plug positions to minister to the kids. That's not ideal. It'd be better if they could rove and not necessarily, you know, player coaches is fine, but like we need them on the field. And so she actually is caring, helping care for kids right now because that's where we are. So again, like if, if you can hold and love a little baby <laughs> or two um, and would be interested in doing that at nine o'clock on some kind of rotation, even once a month, I think, would be welcome. But better if there can be some more consistency for relationships. You can help us in some of that bottleneck. Um, it's like what the Lord said, we need to pray for laborers. The harvest is great, greater than laborers. And so what a delightful place to labor. Uh, and all across the board, uh, one of the great things in children's ministry is if you are participating in teaching children, it's like a class on parenting because it's teaching you and giving you first-hand access um, to what uh, is going out to children. So it's awesome as parents, grandparents, and just those that love kids. Um, but that is our, that's probably our key volunteer bottleneck is that one of children. Um, and then the final one, and I don't know whether I see, do I see Molly? Yeah. Here she is. Oh, awesome. Our awesome Molly Master Polito, who handles so many things. So I'm going to ask you, take your Connect card for, uh, your Connect card in the pew, this is the person who receives them. So everybody fill one out with what you wanna take on to help us get through this season, and she'll be the one to read through them. Yep. But tell us about Big Yellow Mug. Yep, so um, we are seeing you guys come out. The coffee is getting empty before service, so we know you're liking it, so we wanna to continue to do that. Um, but we do need volunteers as well um, for things like Friday prep. So if you're not interested in serving on Sunday, you could do Friday work. Um, we do also need cashiers, baristas, and cleanup help on, Friday, on Sundays. Um, we also do have some candidates for the Big Yellow Mug position, manager position. Um, we are going to begin interviewing those soon. So if you're interested still, please do apply. Um, we are still open for that, and you can find more info on the website for that. Awesome. Thank you, Molly. Um. We're blessed by Molly's leadership and her zeal to do things well, care for people along the way. And, and so along with that, so even communion today, we could use at least a couple, four servers. Uh, Dick White uh, handles that for us. Where's Dick? Yep, he's in the very back there. Uh, as well as you know, some ushers, greeters, some of that team, we're always looking for that to expand. That's part of the natural growth and, and what a delightful way to serve. So those are all ways um, of helping this service along. And in this time, it, again, we're looking at a seven-week span. It culminates with Easter Sunday. Um, and then for the, we hope this succeeds and refuels us with volunteers, that the second service becomes something permanent. But we're going to evaluate it. Um, we actually did think, we thought, well, maybe one approach would be to try to cover, put all our energies into trying to cover these bases and develop and recruit volunteers and then start... Um, that's one legitimate way we could have proceeded. But we just felt there, there are people who are not coming to worship, not able to access us. Can we open it up at least this much, even if we can't open it up all the way for all the categories of people? And I just feel like the balance of what the Lord would want is to say, open it up. 
and let God, let God handle some of what we need. So step out and then the waters will part. That's what we're hoping for. So again, just to, just to summarize, we will start February 26th. Uh, it won't have any access of children's ministry uh, along this experiment time until we get um, those volunteers really strong and vibrant at nine o'clock. That's part of its purpose. But it'll then go all the way through Easter. And so how do you help? Uh, well, this is like a soft launch. One, um, attend it as uh, God leads you to attend that time um, and invite other people. Um, get the word out. Uh, uh, hey, we're expanding. God is renewing us uh, and we're starting something new. Um, if we have a couple, just a couple sections, I might move this podium right down there and be right close um, but we want it to be vibrant, so attend it. Secondly, serve, um, and the focus is serving at nine. That's our biggest need, is to serve and solidify uh, the nine o'clock. Um, and then third is just pray for this experiment to be touched and blessed by God. Um, we should pray for there to be conversions at 1045. <laughs> Charles Burton said, every time you start something, that God's, the way the, the rod blossoms is that there are people who say, I've come to know Jesus through this. So we should be expectant that God is gonna use it and he's gonna use it to shape uh, and disciple people. Um, you can see staff after this. I know we've gone a little longer than we said. And there's a lot more that can be said. I guess I would just say, God is, has blessed us as a, as a family um, and the blessing is look around. Um, look at each other. Look at what God is doing. There's newness of life. Um, God is renewing hearts to his people to serve together. Uh, and virtually every area of life here is, is experiencing some expanse. Um, if you note, have you seen the All Abilities Playground? Um, new swings, right? Have you, how many have seen them? They're there. Um, and there's uh, estimates going out for what it will take to put the final touch on that for access, but virtually everything we have going is experiencing the touch of God, so let's continue to pray for that. Um, so um, somebody feel led to just pray for God's blessing over this? I'm always happy to pray, but I'm looking at Christian. Maybe we'll ask Christian if you just, just pray for God to touch all of this. Let's pray, church. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful um, for the space, for this community and this family. Um, we believe in a God that brings life from death. Uh, it's a pretty radical transformation. And so, God, we're just asking that your hand will infiltrate everything that we're doing. This is our offering, but ultimately you will take it and bring life out of it. And so, God, we um, pray that you put it on people's hearts not just to volunteer, but to be a part of building the kingdom right here in Chester County and for the world around us. And so God, place it on our hearts and place it on our minds uh, and just bring people out so that we could just continue to do uh, kingdom building work right here. And so God, we love you so much. Thanks for loving us. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks so much. Yeah. What about a culture? That is what we're almost instead of. Like blazing wildfire, singing your name. God.